let's turn to our Bibles, shall we? Uh, we're going to turn to the slap bang in the middle of our Bibles is, um, are the Psalms, Psalm 116. And uh, we're going to read that Psalm, 116. And it's a Psalm that is often associated like several of these psalms, with the Passover feast of the people of Israel. Uh, This may well have been one of the psalms that Jesus himself would have sung uh, the night before he was crucified with his disciples. It says, when they had sung a hymn, uh, they went to the Mount of Olives. Well, they may well have sung parts of Psalm 116, 115, and some of these other psalms in this section. And it's a psalm where... David, it clearly seems to be, who is being spoken of here, uh, speaks of his gratitude and love to God for saving, delivering, and rescuing him. So let's look at Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, that means the pangs of the grave, laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Psalm 116 and uh, verse 8. Uh, Turn to that verse with me, if you would, and I'll read it again. And we have David here, 
It's clearly David. It doesn't say of David, but the language is David's. The turn of phrases are David's. The experiences are David's. It's strongly influenced by David. And he says in verse 8 to the Lord, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We all love a good rescue story or a good rescue movie, whether it's uh, fairly topically, I suppose, Apollo 13 or uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, We love the story, it's uh, some years ago now, but the Chilean miners, the 33 trapped underground, brought to the surface. Uh, Those uh, Thai footballers, remember them last summer, trapped in the underground cave and they were brought back alive uh, to, to safe ground again. We love a rescue story. Some of us have our own individual rescue stories. About this time, 12 years ago, my wife Ruth and I narrowly avoided drowning in the English Channel. Well, I say that. Probably by about 20 minutes or so, we managed to find safe ground, having been trapped by a rising tide off the coast of Brittany. We scampered across the sand as it was wet and very, very dangerous, the water coming in. We got to safe ground in time, and, well, we're glad we are here. But this whole psalm is characterized by the psalmist speaking for all God's people about deliverance, rescue, salvation from a great danger. And we can all read this psalm. We can all sing this psalm. But notice something about this psalm uh, with me, about the way it's worded. If you look at Psalm 116, I'm not going to ask you to count, but I wonder how many times the word I or my or or me appears in that psalm. And how often do the words we and us and our appear in that psalm? And the answer is it's all singular. It's all the individual. It's all this one man saying, I have been saved. I give thanks to the Lord. I love the Lord. He inclined his ear to me. I prayed to him and he heard me and he delivered me and I am full of praise. Now, just note that for a few moments. Of course, there are the Psalms and the hymns and the songs that are full of we, us. We should sing as a people. We should sing as a congregation. But every single one of us gathered here today, I pray and hope and long for this, that you individually can say, and I can say, I love the Lord because He heard my voice. I cried to him. He delivered me. 
God does not treat his people as a kind of shapeless, innumerable mass where we're all the same and we're all just copies of one another and we're just plural. No, every soul here is precious and your soul is precious. And in the gospel of our salvation, there is an important place for that I and me as well as the we and the us which is there. But here is a great deliverance that each of us should be able to sing and shout and praise and thank God for. And in fact, it's a threefold deliverance. There are three things we've been saved from, aren't there, here in verse 8. Let's look at them in the time that we have. First of all, says David, you have delivered my soul from death. You've delivered my soul from death. Now, we can't place exactly when it was that David wrote these words. We know that David had many a dangerous experience throughout his life, especially before he became king. You might say even as a shepherd boy, David was spared from lions and bears and other animals that were attacking the sheep. We might say that David, as, as a young man, was fleeing from, from Saul, King Saul, his arch enemy, and from others who were trying to seize his life. We might say that later on, as king even, David was attacked by his own son, Absalom. Death was threatening him. We know that David's life was often endangered. But you might say, I've not been where David was. No one's ever threatened to throw a big javelin or spear at me or to take my life while I'm hiding in a cave or to plot to overthrow me and murder me. I can't sing this along with David. My life's never been endangered. Not really. Has yours? Has mine? Maybe not. Not in the way that David's was. And yet this is a song for every believer to sing. How can we all sing it? I mean, well, we're all going to die, aren't we? There's another thought. We haven't been saved from death. Unless the Lord Jesus returns before we have died, every single person in this room is going to die one day and be buried. What is the psalmist talking about? What is this deliverance from death? Well, here's the answer. We are delivered not from the death of the body, but we, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are delivered and have been delivered from the death of the soul. That's it. You remember how the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians. And he puts it so abruptly and so starkly at the beginning of chapter 2. Where he's describing what these Ephesians were like before they became Christians. And he doesn't say, you were blind. He doesn't say, you were deaf. He doesn't say, you were lame. 
He doesn't say, you were a bit ignorant, you were a bit foolish, you were a bit stupid, you didn't know where you were going. He goes as far as to say, and you will know this, many of you, and you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned by taking the fruit that was forbidden, that has been the natural condition of everyone born to them. The whole human race, spiritually dead, dead to God, dead to eternal life, dead to the Holy Spirit of God, estranged from God, cut off from God, without hope and without God in this world. But we know, don't we, that Paul goes on further in Ephesians 2 because he says, what happened to you? What happened to you is this. When you heard the gospel, when you heard that message, about a man called Jesus, the same Jesus we heard Denzel speak about half an hour or so ago. She, that woman there, had heard Jesus speak. And she came to Jesus full of tears and praise and love because she had received life from him. She was changed. (coughs) She was born again. She was renewed. And so it is for you and for me. I was dead once, this time 30 years ago, in August 1989, I was completely dead. One year later, in 1990, I was alive. What made the difference? The difference for me, the difference for you. It's that we hear the message of Jesus Christ, the only life-giving, saving message Jesus Christ crucified delivers us from death. We share in his death and we share in his resurrection. That's why we're coming to this table later on. That's why it's so appropriate that this psalm is a a Passover psalm, if you like, a communion psalm. It's a psalm about deliverance from death. How are we delivered from death? What can we do? We can't do anything. But we hear a word. We hear a message. We hear the gospel. It's Jesus who delivers us from death. There's no other way you're going to be made alive. If you're dead today, the only way you can be made alive is if you hear the message of the one who came to seek and find you and save you by his death, by his resurrection. That's why the psalmist goes on to say in that beautiful verse, verse 15, In this psalm, precious is the sight, in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. The whole prospect of death is transformed because of what Jesus has done. That's it. But there's a second deliverance we see, isn't there, in verse 8. You have delivered my eyes from tears. 
tears. Bochim is the Hebrew word for a place where the children of Israel wept, and they wept. And this world is a Bochim. It's a place of tears. Have you shed tears recently? Why? What's caused them? There are many causes of tears, aren't there, in this world? There are the tears of loneliness and alienation from people who are taunting us and persecuting us and despising us. And David often shed tears like that, didn't he? He says elsewhere, my tears have been my food day and night. There are tears of bitter sadness and loss and bereavement. Naomi returns to Bethlehem after many years being away in Moab and there's been famine but there's also been loss and bereavement of her husband and her two sons. And she comes back. We're not told that she's weeping, but she may well be. And she says to the women of Bethlehem who say, oh, is this really Naomi? How changed she is. How old she looks. How sad she seems. And she says, no, you're not right. I'm, I'm not Naomi. That's not my name anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Naomi means happy. Naomi means joyful. But my name is no longer Naomi. My name is Mara. I'm a bitter woman, bereaved and grieving in spirit. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. There are other tears. There are the tears of failure and disappointment and frustration and anger with ourselves, aren't there? Have you ever shed tears like that? Oh, the thing that I did when I let him down and let her down and let God down so badly, the tears of Peter, the bitter weeping of Peter the night that he had three times denied Jesus. Have you ever shed tears like that? There are the tears we shed for somebody else who is, who is suffering greatly. We're not in pain ourselves, but there's a loved one. And they're in agony. And they're suffering. And we're saying, oh, if only I could have the pain you're having. I'd rather you suffered than me. I'd rather I suffered than you, rather. I mean, look at the state you're in. If I could be where you are instead, that would be better. Again, David says of Absalom, his son, Absalom, Absalom, if only I had died rather than you. Why should my son die so young and I be alive, an old man? And there are the tears of, of Job's friends. We often think that Job's friends were pretty callous, don't we, and uh, miserable comforters, but they wept, we're told. They wept aloud when they saw the state that Job was in. There are the tears of anguish over a loved one who is far from the Lord. There are the tears of a mother or father or grandmother or grandfather who look on a grandson or a son or a daughter or granddaughter and they're far from the Lord and there are tears for the prodigal who's gone far far away and there are many other kinds of tears David again says in Psalm 56 verse 8 Lord you have kept count 
of my tossings and turnings in bed. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The Lord measures the tears of his beloved people. He knows their volume. He knows how many liters of tears they've shed throughout their lives. They're not in vain. Remember Augustine of Hippo and his mother Monica and all the tears she shed for her son who for years and years was far from the Lord. And a wise and loving friend said, it cannot be that a son of so many tears could ultimately perish. Our tears are not in vain. The Lord knows about them. We weep in this world. It's a place of tears. But there's something wonderful in this psalm that you may have seen already. Here in this very eighth verse. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have delivered my eyes from tears. What? You have delivered. These deliverances are spoken of in the past tense. In the perfect tense. As if they have already happened. That's it. What do we take from this? When you become a Christian, does it mean that instantly you are delivered from ever crying ever again? Is that what happens? No more emotion. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more tears. No, it doesn't mean that. But there is something precious in these words. You have delivered my eyes from tears. And at the very least we can say this. There is in this life for Christians a tension. It's not only tears. It's not only sorrow. It's not only pain. There's joy. There's peace. There's hope. There's triumph. There's victory. We read in Revelation 21 verse 4, God will wipe away all the tears from his people's eyes. And Revelation 7 verse 17, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We might say, how can that be? How can even in eternity the memory of sorrows in this earthly life not cause us to, uh, to weep and to be sad and to be sorrowful for what's gone on in the past? But there is a joy for the Christian believer that far, far outweighs the sorrows of this life. And a Christian learns this. Remember again the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, that amazing tension where he says, sorrowful, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Feeling in our hearts the sentence of death, but alive nevertheless. Yes, the Apostle Paul in his journeyings and in his prayers and in his reflections on people like Demas, no doubt, would have shed many a tear on what's happened to people that he thought much of and hoped much for. 
sorrowful for these people that seemed to have fallen by the wayside, sorrowful for the state of the churches that he was ministering to, and yet always rejoicing, always rejoicing. A Christian believer can never say, should never say, this life is nothing but sorrow for me. This life is nothing but sorrow for me. It's not true. It's not true. I remember the first funeral I went to. The funeral of a close relative who died very, very suddenly, totally unexpectedly. Died young, leaving two small children, very close to the family. Gone in a stroke. Funeral six days later. No hope, no joy, unbeliever you see, everybody there an unbeliever, no peace, no light, just heavy, bitter despair. How different a Christian funeral is, isn't it? How different a Christian funeral is. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's not only because there is an assurance that that loved one in the Lord has gone to glory to be with Christ. It is that, but it's not only that. It's that sense that a Christian can have, that our God does all things well, wisely, lovingly, justly. I remember a lady whose father did not seem to be a believer, never seemed to come to Christ, and he died. And this lady was a believer. And you might think, well, she was obviously sorrowing on the day of his funeral. But she said, and yet somehow the Lord gave me a great sense of peace on that day. And the Lord can do that. He gives his people peace. Not not because of circumstances only, but because of the unchangeable, faithful, wise, good, loving character of who our God is. Yes, there are tears in this life, but at the same time, believers can still say, you have delivered my eyes from tears. It's not only tears. Oh, no. It's laughter. It's joy. It's hope. It's peace. Because of the God we have who is on our side and the Savior we have who has tasted death for us. And there's one more thing we should see here, isn't there, before we're done. Briefly now. You have delivered my feet from stumbling. What does that mean? Well, any reference to stumbling or or walking or feet in the Bible generally refers to, to living, to the life of faith, the walk of faith, our conduct, the way we go about our lives. And here's the great thing. What is it that the Lord delivers his people from, first and foremost? Is it death? Death sounds pretty big, doesn't it? Death is big, death is huge, death is ginormous, death is terrifying by itself, without Christ, without deliverance. But it's not the big thing. What's the biggest thing that God has delivered us from in Jesus Christ? It's not death. Is, is it tears? Is it sadness? Is it pain? Is it crying? Is it being sorrowful? That's big. That's huge. That affects us deeply. 
But it's not the biggest thing. You've delivered my feet from stumbling. Where does that take us? It speaks about sin and righteousness. About life. About living in a way that pleases God. And here David says, Lord, you've delivered my feet from stumbling. That is, you teach me how to walk in a way that is right. You've delivered me from sin. From sin. Peter told the crowds in Jerusalem early in the book of Acts. Chapter 3, verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus came into this world to live and die and to be raised to life, to turn us from wickedness, from evil, from sin, from all of these things which lead to death which lead to tears, which lead to sorrow, which lead to condemnation. The wages of sin is death. It's not that the wages of death is sin. Sin leads to death. Sin is the great enemy, as it were. And the Lord comes and he delivers our feet from stumbling. He teaches us how to walk. And this is what a Christian does. This is what we all have to do. We learn to walk. We learn to walk as new creatures. Have you ever watched some of these documentaries about Paralympic athletes or those in the Invictus Games? And there are these, these guys who have had their legs blown off in Afghanistan and things like that. They have to learn to walk and then to run with their new legs, prosthetic limbs. And it takes them time, but they learn to do it. And the Lord says here, I am delivering your feet from stumbling so that the believer can say with confidence in verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Because a day is coming when every single one of the Lord's people will walk, live, speak, act, without sin, without stumbling, without any fear of offense. A day is coming when you and I will never, ever again let down our Savior. Paradise will never again be spoiled by anyone breaking God's commandment, becoming a sinner, and plunging that new world into sin. And all this is possible and all this has happened because, and only because, the Son of God who loved us did this. He said, do this, take this bread and this wine in remembrance of me. We proclaim his death. By his death, we are delivered from death. By his death, we are delivered from tears. By his death. We are delivered from stumbling. We'll come to the table very shortly. Let's pray together.
Our Father, our God in heaven, as we come to you now, we thank, praise, and worship you for the deliverance that has been made for us in our place by the one who took our human nature, bled and died to redeem us, to save us, to make us new, to do what we could never do. Oh Lord, if we are, if we are growing over familiar with this message, we pray that your spirit would be gracious and renew and rekindle love and warmth and praise in our hearts. Come to us, Lord, as we gather at the table very soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.